0: Well, good morning, church. Thank you, Cindy, the worship team. Thank you for your prayer and your thoughts early this morning, Cindy. Thank you. As well, remind us about distractions. We put them on mute, silence. Okay, you got it? That includes this too, right? Mute and silence. All right, very good. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4 this morning in a moment as we check, uh, as we continue in our worship by looking at God's word this morning that continues it, doesn't interrupt it or stop it. We continue to look to God to speak to us this morning. Well, Ryan attended his first day of school as a first grader. He had gone to kindergarten the year before. Well, this is his first day in his first grade class. And Ryan was accustomed to going home at noon in kindergarten the year before. So when noon came, right, Ryan began to get all his things together to head home like he had done every other day the year before. But instead of getting ready to leave for home, he was supposed to be heading for lunch or the rest of the class. The teacher asked him, what are you doing? He said, I'm going home. And Ryan replied, no, 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 no. Uh, And the teacher kind of jumped in and said, you know, that's in first grade. Uh, It's a little bit different. It's a little bit different than what you did last year in kindergarten. We have a longer school day. So you're going to go eat lunch now, the teacher said, and then you'll come back to the room and do some more work before you go home. Ryan looked at her in disbelief, hoping she was kidding. But convinced of her seriousness, Ryan then put his hands on his hips and demanded, Well, who on earth signed me up for this program? <laughs> now, as believers, it's easy to feel a little like Ryan when we consider the Christian life. Who on earth sent me out on this program? Who signed me up? Requirements seem daunting. Jesus says, if anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And you go, what? As a follower of Christ, I'm I'm called to say no to self and yes to Jesus? You want me to do what? I'm to be last and servant of all. I must love sacrificially. I must be willing to give up everything. And it isn't long before you want to say, who on earth signed me up for this program? you did. That moment you decided to put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is what you signed up for. This is not to say now, I want to be clear here, that, that there are certain requirements you must fulfill before coming to Christ. Receiving Jesus as your Savior is to believe in what Jesus has done for you on the cross Accepting his sacrifice is sufficient, complete, and enough for you to be saved from the penalty of your sins. There, there, there aren't all these hoops that you must jump through to earn your salvation. It is a free gift of grace to be received by faith. But God saving you through Jesus Christ was never meant to be the end. It's really the starting place for experiencing the life God intended For you, and this is where discipleship comes in. And we exist as a church at Living Hope Lakeport to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And as I said last week, there's there's really nothing unique about that vision. There's no claim that it is profound, but it is to be practiced. We must keep this, this aim before us. I want to keep coming back to our mission as a church. For as has been said, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. Well, our aim is to be about disciple making. If we ought to be a church that makes disciples and it takes one to make one, then it begs the question, what is a disciple? What does a disciple really look like? And so, for the summer months, we're going to be exploring this matter of discipleship and we're locking in on what Jesus says about it. And we begin with our first mark or characteristic of a disciple by looking at this passage, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And if you're not there, I invite you to turn in your Bibles, your tablet, your phone, whatever you use, to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And I want to give us the first mark, identifying mark of a disciple from this passage. And the first identifying mark of a disciple is that he or she is a follower of Jesus. The first identifying mark of a disciple is that he or she is a follower of Jesus. And you might immediately say, well, duh, tell me something I don't know. But would you know a follower of Christ if you saw one? Would others consider you to be a follower of Jesus? I mean, you might call yourself a Christian, but would you call yourself a follower of Christ? You might answer, well, yeah, I go to church. And, and you know, I, I wear witness wear clothing. You know, that t shirt says, God is good all the time, or you got Jesus sweatshirt. Or as Joe Whitwer says, uh, tongue in cheek here, he says, Are you a follower of Jesus? Many of us automatically think, Of course I am. On the religious views on Facebook page, it says, Christ follower. And you got a purpose-driven life in 40 days or less. And you kissed dating goodbye. You dogged Harry Potter, but loved Lord of the Rings. You say, bless their heart, before speaking badly about someone. (laughs) And your ringtone is a worship song. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Is that it? All right, well, let's look at an example of of followers. Look with me at Matthew chapter four, and we first see the challenging call, the challenging call. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter four. Follow along. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Now, just just so that we understand this correctly, Peter and Andrew were fishermen, right? Don't think of fishing as a hobby. They weren't out fishing for their day off. There isn't this sign hung up on their local country store that said, Gone Fishing. No, no. Fishing was their occupation. No fish, no paycheck. And that's what makes Jesus call to them so demanding. Verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me follow me. And when Jesus used the word follow, he was literally inviting them to come here physically. Or he might say, come after him. He's saying to Peter and, and Andrew uh, here, your place is following after me. Follow me. Now, what is it about being a follower that is so difficult? Why do we struggle to be a follower? I was at the playground this past week. Don't get concerned, it wasn't, right. If I stop there, this is really creepy. But I was at the playground this past week with sweet Adeline, my granddaughter, all right? And she said, Papa, let's play follow the leader. That meant when she went down the slide, I was to curl up and go down that narrow slide. When she crawled through this space not fit for someone my size, I practiced contortion, yeah, and I fit myself into that small space. I had to do it. If I ever tried to go around it, she would say to me in no uncertain terms, no, Papa, follow me. So I got my exercise and a few more aches and pains. Follow the leader. Remember as a kid playing that pointless game? It wasn't long before an argument would break out. I want to be a leader now. And someone said, no, 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 I want to be a leader. Because being the leader was the fun part of that game. Why? Because whatever the leader does, everyone else has to do. I mean, the leader got to call the shots. The leader looked good. Followers tried to keep up. And following was even embarrassing at times, having to imitate what the leader was doing. You see, we often associate followers with weakness. Followers have to be told what to do. Followership means yielding control, and most of us don't like that. Follow me, Jesus says, and we go, I'm all set. I got this. This is a struggle to follow. We teach our kids not to be followers, right? If your friend jumped off the bridge, would you jump off also? How many times you hear that one? Don't be a follower, would say. Okay, that instruction's needed. There's a place to learn, though, about following the right people, of course, and it isn't this blind followership. A true story of a, of a pastor who was doing a funeral for a war veteran in which the man's military buddies had a role in the memorial service. And the friends requested the minister would lead them down to the casket for a moment of silence, and then they would follow the pastor out a side door. Well, the plan was carried out with military precision, uh, you know, right down to the casket. They had a moment of silence, and then they were to go out to that, the exit out the side door. Uh, well, the minister, unfamiliar with the church, as he went on the side door, he walked right into a broom closet. <laughs> and all the soldiers followed him into the broom closets. They had to all make a disorganized retreat. I mean, it was ugly. See, it matters who you follow. If we follow Christ, we can trust where he takes us. Now, these disciples had met Jesus before. This isn't their first encounter with Jesus. That's what I believe. Some kind of disagree with that. I really think this isn't their first encounter with Jesus. But it is the first time they heard these words, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Follow me is a command. And I remind you that that this isn't a call here to salvation, to have faith in him. It is a call to discipleship, to learn from Jesus, to leave their careers, their homes, everything, to physically walk with Jesus. I mean, they had heard him speak. It's even possible they've already witnessed a miracle or two. They had already responded to Jesus earlier. You can check it out in John chapter 1. But then, then they returned to what they knew best, fishing. But this call was different. It was to drop what they were doing and follow Jesus, learn from Jesus. See, following Jesus was more than just hearing from Jesus. They, they would literally, physically follow him around because all students, that's what they did. They would be trainees or apprentices. And we're going to look at that more next week. But what we must remember here is the disciples' commitments advanced by degrees. It was a process. We see that along the way as they spend time with Jesus all the way until he ascended. Their understanding grew and grew, but it all begins, though, with answering this call, follow me, and this is a big ask. I called to follow. Still is, because in a world consumed with independence and leadership, it is a challenge to get people to admit they want to be followers. But listen, following comes first. Men, you don't stand a chance to be a good leader of your home if you want first following. Pastors and elders, you cannot lead the church unless they first learn to follow. Good leaders are good followers. And whenever there has been a leadership disaster in the church, it isn't usually over a leader's inability to lead. It was an issue of failed followership. Because you cease to be a follower of Christ, it doesn't matter how qualified you may be to lead. Your competence to lead, your qualities of charisma, your strong leadership skill set will only be as effective as your ability to follow. So I ask, I ask, would others observe, by, by observing your life say, now there is a follower of Jesus? To what degree are you consumed with following him? Are you more and more aware of your need to transfer control to him? The call goes out, come, follow me. All right, we come to the compelling Christ now, the compelling Christ. I want you to notice the nature of Jesus' call here. Jesus doesn't say, come, follow my rules. Come, follow what this church believes over there. Come, follow some creed. No, Jesus says, follow me. They were to follow a person. That's the way of Christianity. Somewhere along the way though, we have turned Christianity to following some system or set of rules. No, no, we are to follow a person. And do you realize that we can even be working for Christ, but not follow him? I mean, honestly, it's an occupational hazard, if you will. We we can be about the doing rather than the knowing. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Church, we are to follow him. Follow Jesus. Are you a disillusioned churchgoer today? Are you a disillusioned churchgoer? That you aren't sure you can ever trust again or ever plug into a church? Because perhaps... You followed a person who should have represented Christ to you, but left you disappointed and hurt, confused, and even deeply scarred. That someone, that someone for you may be a parent who is physically, emotionally, or spiritually abusive. That someone for you may be a spiritual leader who took advantage of you or a friend who claimed to be a follower of Jesus but refuses to forgive you, or someone you, you even served with in ministry who was regarded as, publicly as this respectable Christian but mistreated you, or whose private life didn't match up with his public image. That may be you today, and you may be hurt. Listen, I'm not going to minimize that kind of impact it has on you because it's huge. One pastor, Joseph Stoll, he compared these failed trust relationships to the eclipse of the sun he said it this way when the moon which ordinarily reflects the light of the sun gets in the way of the sun everything turns gray distorted and cold we know the sun is there but we can't sense its reality or feel its beneficial power so you may be here today and you follow the church even a christian church or a person that should have reflected Jesus, but it or they eclipsed the true Christ. And so this follow me stuffs like I don't know if I can trust him. Listen, healing can come as you walk out of the shadows and into the light of who he is. It's only as you take steps, and it may be baby steps. To, to just see Jesus as he is. Because Jesus is the time-tested leader who will not betray, use, or abandon you. And so whatever resistance that you may have to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, take that first step of seeing the true Christ. Look at the scriptures. Go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and see who Jesus is. Read through that. Because Jesus calls you to follow him. And just as the solo system revolves around the sun, So our lives are to revolve around Jesus, the Son of God. You see, followers live with the awareness that He is at the strategic center, influencing everything they do. Is is Jesus the the center for you? Did you center your life around Him? We're trying to get there. He's to be your singular, all consuming passion. So learn from and imitate. The one you're following. It's the compelling Christ. It's a challenging call. Thirdly, the convincing cause. Let's look at the convincing cause. Mountaineer Tom Whitaker, the first amputee to summit Mount Everest. Pretty amazing. But Tom Whitaker said this. He said, one of the things that really attracts me to mountaineering is it's total pointlessness. So I've dedicated my life to it. Really? I mean, is, is what you're dedicating your life to right now worth the trouble? Jesus comes to Peter, he comes to Andrew, he comes to James, and he comes to John, he calls them to something meaningful. He says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now obviously the metaphor would resonate with these four guys because they were fishermen, but Jesus' point, was to direct them to a greater cause to live for than the significance that they might have derived from their occupation. What's your reason for living? What's your reason for living? The old Elvis Presley song, and I think George Jones did it, maybe 10 others, I don't know. But there goes my reason for living. There goes the one of my dreams there goes my only possession. There goes my everything. In other words, without her, life isn't worth the trouble. What's your reason for living? What's the cause that's worth the trouble for you? What would that be? Well, Jesus said, living for something that would outlive them. Jesus gives us a reason for living. Being followed, Jesus is living for a greater cause. See that he's saying here, disciples, you can you can live your lives piling up fish, or you can live lives that touch people with the transforming power of God's grace. Jesus invites them. He invites us to join him on an incredible journey toward a meaningful existence. What Jesus offered them and us was to something eternal, the saving of souls. Now, church, is there a greater cause than that? Now notice here, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to point it out that Jesus, it says here that Jesus will make them fishers of men. Jesus will do that. He does the making them fishermen part. It would be a process, but he's he's going to take care of that. part. what they need to do is just answer the call. They need to respond in obedience and follow Jesus. And if they did that, he'll take care of making them into fishers of men and women's souls. But you see, followers go where Jesus wants to take them. And this looks different for everyone. When it comes to embracing the cause, it, it it may mean something different for you than it would for me and maybe others around you. Because it may not mean you give up your career. It may not mean you downsize your living. It may not mean selling all your possessions or giving up your dreams or surrendering your position at work. It may not mean any of that, but it will mean radically altering your view of them because following Jesus and embracing his cause to see your success, see your possessions, see your property, see your dreams, see your ambitions as tools for God's glory, it's, it's to see yourself and what you have as servants to others for the cause of eternity. See, followers have a whole new way of thinking. They have a whole new way of seeing everything under their control that they have been given so that their homes now become places where the reality of Christ is lived out. If they have children, passed on to their children. Jobs become those places to reflect Jesus Christ rather than fulfill your own self-centered agendas. See everything we hold so dear in our lives, and, and and is all there for the greater cause. Is that how you view it? And fissures of men is at odds with society's addicted uh, addiction to success, self-fulfillment. It's at odds with the culture's, you know, American dream. Get all you can while you can so you can then sit on your can. That's it in a nutshell. Get all you can while you can so you can sit on your can. That's the American dream. Is that what we're living for? That's it? Well, Jesus invites these disciples to come follow him, and he promises to make them fishers of men. Now, I want you to notice their response here, their response. Verse 20 is their response, but I'm going to pick it up in verse 19. I'm going to read verse 19 again. And then, you need to follow along here. Okay, verse 19, I'm going to go right into verse 20 to see their response. Verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20, their response, after they cut a deal with Jesus, they left their nets and followed him. (laughs) No, not it. After they retired from their fishing careers, they would follow him. After their kids left the home, after they graduated from college, after they worked through all of their issues, after they got married, when things slow down, I'll follow him. After my business takes off, after, none of that. It says, at once. At once, they left their nets And followed him at once. No conditions, no negotiations, no particulars given to him. Just follow. And they trust Jesus with their lives. And so compelling were the words, follow me, that they gave up everything to follow Christ. If you aren't uncomfortable, you may not be following Jesus. Too strong? Work it out. Work it out. But you see, the most loving thing, one of the most loving things I could do as your pastor is to call you to total commitment. And we kind of shy away from this. This isn't how we often do, always do our recruiting. Guilty. Our call sometimes goes out, it isn't really much of a commitment. You just put. 20 minutes maybe over a month. That's it. It's all I, maybe just once a month serve. You can't do it. Once every two months. And we water it down. We go bare minimum. Remember the days, and I'm not talking good old days here. That's not what I'm going with this. But remember the days, because I do growing up in the church, when you had the same Sunday school teacher all year, and even in the summer, And then you saw them at VBS. And I'm not suggesting that it was all good. For many, a man, any time the church was open, they had to be there. But my, have things changed? Some for the good, some not for the good. Hear me on that. I don't want to confuse attendance at church and serving with a commitment to Christ. We can be so busy at church at the neglect of our families and other commitments and even our own souls. So, my point isn't to say the more active you are in the church, the more spiritual you are. It's not what I'm saying. My point is, though, is we have an unhealthy value of convenience. Convenience. Let's be honest. There was an elderly woman who lived way back in the hills of North Carolina and she operated this little old country store. And It just so happened that this old store had a creek that ran behind it and it was just a tiny creek and there were not any fish in it, no fish at all. But one day an old farmer came by and saw the dear old woman sitting at the back of the store with a fishing pole in her hand and the cork was floating on top of that little creek. The old farmer yelled out, Aunt Lizzie, what do you think you're doing? There are no fish in that creek. She said, I know better than anybody there's no fish in that creek, but it's just so convenient. Think about that. We would rather fish where there might not be any fish for the sake of convenience. How often... Do we continue to do what we do for no apparent reason other than it's convenient? As the late Haddon Robinson put it, many people don't want to make good decisions, they want to make painless ones. Convicting. In a world in which we are inundated with choices, we struggle to commit to the right things because we demand options. A passenger was on a long flight overseas. The flight attendant came down and asked him, this passenger, if he would like to have dinner. What are my choices, the passenger asked. Yes or no, the flight attendant answered. Yes or no. Jesus comes and he says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. What are my choices? Yes or no. God comes and he says, do you want to serve me? your answer. What are my choices? Yes or no? There are only two choices. We want to add a third choice. We don't say, yes, Lord. Often we say, yes, Lord, but. Right? Yes, Lord, but. And sometimes I'll read scripture and I'll go, yes, Lord, but you don't understand my situation. You're not really saying that, are you? Yes, Lord, but. Why LB? That's where we land. Like Robert De Niro's character in the 90s movie Heat, who vowed never to get involved in anything he couldn't walk away from in 30 seconds. We, too, struggle to commit. What area of your life right now are you refusing to choose? Have you been keeping your options open? I want you to discover the joy of fully committing. The response of Peter and Andrew and James and John to Jesus' call was the same. They immediately at once left what they were doing and followed him. Their obedience was instant and with no hesitation. They didn't try to bargain with Jesus. Hey, you know what? I'll do this if you do that for me. They didn't cut a deal with him. With little knowledge of Jesus or what it would cost them, they followed. They didn't ask for the terms and conditions. And they, they, they gave up much to follow Jesus. And we're going to see in a passage toward the end of the series in, in Matthew nineteen twenty seven, where Peter speaks of the magnitude of what he and the others gave up following Jesus. And so this series is going to talk about the cost of discipleship But for starters, I simply ask this, are you, am I, a true follower of Jesus? And before I give you a quote, I just want to mention this. The follow me in this setting had a special physical meaning in the presence of Jesus' physical body when he was on the earth, yes. So the call now still goes out, follow me, and Jesus, follow Jesus, his words, his teachings, the scriptures. Are we following Jesus? Pastor Kyle Eidelman writes that in today's churches, it may seem like there are many followers of Jesus, but if they were honestly to define the relationship they have with him, I'm not sure it'd be accurate to describe them as followers. It seems to me that there's a more suitable word to describe them. He goes on, they are not followers of Jesus, they are fans of Jesus. He says, a fan is an enthusiastic admirer. It's the guy who goes to the football game with no shirt and a painted chest. He sits in the stands, he yells and cheers, but nothing's really required of him. There's no sacrifice he has to make. Hmm. Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers for disciples he's looking for participants not spectators You follower fan or are you in that well jesus comes to you and he says come follow me and i'll make you fishers of men your response at once yes lord but after i well oh, you're ready to go you're ready to go from fan to follower because of a uh, peculiarity in a professional hockey, the fate of the Chicago Blackhawks and their game against the Winnipeg Jets was decided by a fan who was called into emergency goalie service. Scott Foster. Scott Foster, he's a 36-year-old accountant, hadn't played a hockey game against serious competition in over a decade. But because of his background as a goalie for Western Michigan University, he'd been designated as an emergency goalie, which is an honor that usually just results in free food in the press box. But when rookie goalie, Colin Delia, himself substituting for the regular injured goalie, Anton Forsberg, so you have the backup goalie and starter both injured. Well, in the third period, Foster was called into service No longer a fan, Foster literally walked down from the stands, put on his gear, and took the ice. Foster said, the initial shock happened when I had to dress, and then I think you kind of black out after that. I don't think I heard anything other than put your helmet on. (laughs) Whatever mental zone Foster enters, he took the ice. It was effective. He stopped all seven shots attempted in that third period, earned the team belt, which was an honor reserved for the game's best player. And he set social media ablaze with tweets and posts from fans and analysts who could not believe he had never played professionally before. Listen, God has something for you, He has something for me. He calls us to follow Him. Jesus taps you on the shoulder and He asks, You ready to go? How do you respond? How do you respond? Let's pray. Lord, our response in song, which is a prayer of desire, is a very familiar hymn, I Surrender All. And yet if we're honest, at times it's really I surrender some. I give you this, don't touch this. And we understand it's a process, but I pray that as we, we sing this, our desire is to, is to express to you that we're all in, they are surrendering all to you, and that you take us where you want to take us, and we'll follow your lead. Speak to us from this passage, from our words this morning, as we make that application to our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.